You never know what a day will hold. Right? You never know when you get up in the morning when the day might change your life. And that's one of the things that um, I'm always caught by is how just in a heartbeat, in a moment, things can change. You never know what a day may hold. Whether you're following Christ or you're doing life on your own, you never know. We're told to take hold of life, to determine our own destiny, grab all the gusto we can, to make our plans and execute them, to, to look ahead and, and put a five-year plan together, a 10-year plan together, especially in business. Don't let anybody get in your way. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't. If you can think and you can plan and you can execute, then you can do whatever you want and you can be the change agent that you want in your life. You should take risk and achieve what you want that will make you happy. That's what we hear in the world. But I'm here to tell you, you can do all that and something beyond your control could turn your world upside down in a moment. Now, con uh, con uh, contrast all of that that I said from the world to these scriptures from the book of Proverbs. 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. 20.24, man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? A quote that I've heard attributed to uh, the poet Robert Burns, the best laid plans, anybody want to re finish that? Mice. Of mice and men, oft go astray. The best laid plans of mice and men. We've got a few mice whose plans went astray at our house. <laughs> and every fall, as I put the trap out, I, have, uh, I put a post-it on the refrigerator and start listing them. Fievel's dead, Mickey's dead, Annie's dead. My daughter comes over and goes, what's this? I said, that's all the animals that I've killed. And they will never be stars of any Disney production. The best laid plans. And so the Bible tells us that, and we know that. In a heartbeat, in a moment. You never know what a day will bring when you get up in the morning. But God will accomplish his purposes. He will. God's still on the throne, as I said before. God will accomplish his purposes with or without us. Because he's sovereign. He's in control. He's going to accomplish his purposes. But because God is all-powerful all and all-loving at the same time, what we're learning in the Experiencing God emphasis is that he invites us to join him in those purposes. Out of his love, he wants us to experience the abundant life satisfaction by partnering with him in what he is doing. And so I want to talk today about moving from our agenda to God's in-step agenda. Moving from our agenda to God's agenda because it's an invitation by a loving, all-powerful God. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 3 and we'll begin with verse 1 as we go through um, the points in the sermon outline. Acts 
In Acts chapter 3, beginning with the first one. Does anybody need a Bible? We've got, got one here. Anybody else? And if you're looking at it, uh, for it in the Pew Bible, I thought it was interesting. Because anybody see the page number? 9-11, which is today's date. I just thought, hmm. So Acts chapter 3, beginning with the verse 1, we're going to look at it in just a moment. But the first, so the first way that we need to focus is to understand that God's agenda for the day in this passage. God's agenda. We need to understand what was on God's, it's, I, you know, I don't know what on, we, what we see in this chapter is Peter and John, two of the original 12 followers of Jesus, his disciples. Um, this is about their day. And I don't know what was on their agenda that day, but from mid-afternoon on, they had to set it aside to experience God's agenda. And I want to kind of look at Acts chapter 3 as if it was a to-do list from God. It wasn't, it wasn't Peter and John's to-do list, but it was some things that God had in mind because that's what we see him accomplishing. So the first thing on God's to-do list that day was to get Peter and John to connect with a lame beggar. So if you can picture maybe one of the angels up in heaven with a clipboard saying, okay, the first agenda item is we got to get Peter and John to connect with the lame beggar. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So there were three hours in the Jewish prayer day, um, nine in the morning, noon, and three in the afternoon. They started their day at six in the morning, so the ninth hour was three o'clock in the afternoon. So in the afternoon, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried. He was being carried. And what's interesting is I've read this, I can't tell you how many times I've read this, but I never noticed until I was studying this time that he wasn't already there. He just happened to be carried at that moment so that he, whoever was carrying him, their path intersected with Peter and John's path. A man lame from birth was being carried whom they, they laid daily at the gate of the temple that was called the beautiful gate to ask alms or to ask for gifts because he was lame. There was no welfare in those days. The only way that he could support himself was by begging. And so they, were, he, they would put him there every day. Now, there's no indication that any of them knew they were on the way to a God-designed meeting. Peter and John... They were on their way to the temple for prayer. I don't know if they went there at every hour of prayer. I don't know if they were headed there for a meeting with somebody. Maybe they were going to teach in, in part of the temple complex. We don't know why they were there. But what we do know is they didn't know what was on God's agenda that day. And so often that will be our experience when we're living in step with Christ. When we get up in the morning, we don't know that there's something on God's agenda but he does. Item number two on God's agenda was to heal the lame man through Peter. Verse three. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he, the lame beggar, asked to receive alms. The Bible doesn't tell, there are a lot of things the Bible doesn't tell us. So we don't know if they had met before. 
We don't, we don't know that, but that maybe Peter and John on their way to the prayer time had seen this man begging before. Maybe they had even given him coins before. Maybe they had talked with him before. Maybe this man had heard about Jesus. Maybe this man had watched Peter and John enter the temple. We don't know, but on, on this particular day, something different happens. So the man asked for alms. They asked for a donation, asked for money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. So it was a habit for them to go to the temple for, for some reason, to teach, to pray, we don't know. It was a habit for them to do that. It was a habit for this man to be put by the gate beautiful and to beg for alms, to beg for donations. It was a habit. And so I got to believe that their, their paths had crossed before, that this was not the first time that they'd ever seen the, the, the beggar. But in this instant, my sense is that it stopped Peter in his path because it was the Holy Spirit rather than Peter. And he stopped. And look, it says he... He directed his gaze at him. In other words, instead of just seeing him, he looked intently at the man. And so when you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit identifies what he wants you to do. And, and, it, and again, the Bible doesn't say this directly, but the way that I, I, I recognize God working in the Bible is that he tells people to do certain things. And so on this day, he stopped, he gazed, and I think he paused to listen Okay, Lord, what is it you want? And then he, then he led him. So he looked at him, and, and he said to look. So Peter and John are gazing at this man. He looks at him and says, look at us. And so the man fixed his attention on Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but... And this is going to be good. This is going to be much better than any silver or gold you could ever receive. You have no idea what's about to happen to you. But I just wonder if Peter didn't have a smile on his face because he, just, he knew the man's life was about to change. I don't have what you're looking for. But what I do have, I give to you. And what did he have? In the name of Jesus Christ. He had Jesus. Spirit of God living within him, rise up and walk. And he didn't even give the man a chance to think about it or respond. He reached down and he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter spoke the words that God gave him to speak. He took the action that God nudged him to take. And before before his feet were even healed, he had him by the hand and he was raising him up so that as he raised him up, his ankles and his legs were healed in that moment. By the time he got to his feet, they were strong enough, not just to hold him, but what we'll see is to dance and praise God. Peter spoke the words. It was God's agenda. It wasn't Peter's agenda. It was God's agenda. But Peter was so sensitive to God that he was following God's agenda. Verse 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
So which agenda was better? Peter and John's or God's? God's. But Peter and John were on the way to pray. They were on their way to spend time with God. And God said, no, I'm already here. We've got work to do. Which one is better? The man's agenda to ask for money, hoping that he gets enough for food for the day, or God's agenda? God's agenda. But it takes us out of our comfort. Item number three. If you're looking at the angel who's got the clipboard, he's now checked number two, and now he gets to number three. And that is to amaze people to draw them to himself. God's agenda was to get people to experience his presence, to see what kind of God he really is. Verse 9, and all the people who were around and the temple was a busy, busy, it was, a, it was like a marketplace. There were people that would come in all the time from other countries to worship at that temple. And all the people saw him walking. And so it wasn't an, it wasn't an accident that it happened at the temple. Because on God's agenda was to amaze as many people as possible. It could have happened in you know, some back street where nobody would see it. But a part of God's agenda was to amaze people. So all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. So all of these people came to the temple and they recognized, oh, that's him. That's that same guy. That's him. That's, they saw him. And they but always before, they'd seen him begging and his legs didn't work. And now they see him walking and jumping and praising God. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. But it wasn't about him only. It was also about them to experience the amazement that God wanted them to experience. God had allowed this man to be lame. For all of those years, when he was born and he, and, and, he, and he was lame, could God have healed him then? Yeah. When he was five years old and all of his friends were going to kindergarten, I don't know if they had Jewish kindergarten or not, but when they were, all doing, you know, they were playing stickball in the streets, could he have healed him then? When he got to be a teenager and, and the girls wouldn't date him because he was lame, could he have healed him then? Yeah. When he got to be older and nobody would marry him because he's a lame man, he can't support a family, could God have healed him then? Yeah, but he didn't. And how many times in our lives do we say, God, why don't you do this? Why, I, if you really loved me, you would take care of this. You would change this. And he doesn't. Is it because he doesn't love us? No, it's because he does. And he has an agenda that is beyond our agenda. And so this man, in this moment, experienced this incredible moment, but it was also to amaze the people around at who God is. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, verse 11, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. He drew a crowd. And so he, he, he was being carried in. Peter and John are coming along. They meet up. He's healed. Now he's on his feet. He's jumping. Peter and John continue to where they, whatever their plan was for the day. But I don't know if they thought that they would continue with their plan, but it wasn't going to happen. 
Because they drew a crowd. How can it not draw a crowd? Why did it draw a crowd? Because Peter and John were so great? No, because God is so great. And when we're on God's agenda, that's his purpose. Not so that they see us, not that people see us and go, oh, look how good he is. But that they see God and they're amazed and they're in awe and they're drawn to him. So that they can hear from him and experience life. Item number four. As the angel stands up there with his clipboard, number three's checked off. Now we move to number four. As big a deal as the healing was, God's purpose was even bigger and eternal. The man, the lame man, was going to die someday. He was going to have his legs forever, but his soul would last forever. And all the people in the crowd that day, that was, that was God's ultimate agenda, was to invite people to relationship with himself through Peter's message. Look at verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? In other words, in this world, the ego-driven people would go, yeah, look what I did. Look at me, look at me. Right? And there are people who call themselves Christians who do the same thing. Look at me, look what I did. And it's not them at all. If any, that was our memory verse last week. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from his spirit, we can, there's nothing that can happen really that lasts. And so Peter and John are adamant. They say, why are you looking at us? As though by our own power of piety, we have made him walk. It's not because we're so spiritual. It's not because we're so powerful. Peter directs their attention to God and his purposes through Jesus. Verse 13. He goes on to explain, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And so he takes them back to what happened in Jerusalem not that long ago. And said, here's what was happening back then. Jesus, remember him? He was crucified. And some of you were in that crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. And when Pilate tried to let him go, you were some of the ones that says, no, set Barabbas free instead of Jesus. And, and so you were responsible. Remember that? The reason this man is walking, see him dancing and praising God, is because of Jesus. He didn't stay dead. He's alive now. And then he points them to the truth. Verse 16, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. The miracle is because Jesus is alive. He's no longer dead. He's alive. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't know any better as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Here's your chance. Verse 19. Repent. Now that you know. You acted in ignorance before. Now that you know. Repent. Turn around. Turn to Christ. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times are refreshing. There's that abundant life, satisfaction, pleasure that we talk about. 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The bigger purpose is the eternal salvation of people. If we're going to move from our agenda to God's agenda, it's moving from this temporary reality that we live in to an eternal heavenly reality. From temporary purposes to God-ordained purposes. This ruined Peter's day, right? As he had planned. This was not anywhere on his agenda. Who knows, he may have had plans to have lunch with somebody they hadn't seen for a long time after they went to prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He may have been looking forward to having some downtime with his family that evening. But that wasn't God's agenda. Those aren't bad things, but that wasn't God's things. It ruined the man who was begging. It ruined his plans for the day. I just, I'm just hoping I get... It, there's no indication that he gets any money, right? So he may not eat that day, although I have a hunch that there were a lot of people who would be glad to have him over and hear the story. But it changed his day. There are times when the, the very things that you think are in your way are the opportunities for you to experience more than you dreamed. It'll interrupt your day. But it'll transform your day. And so we've got to recalibrate our attitude from seeing things as obstacles to recognize them and, and, and taking them to God and saying, God, is this an opportunity? Is this something that you have on your agenda rather than mine? Item number five, then. As the angel checks off number four, he moves to number five to set things in motion for a Sanhedrin confrontation. The Sanhedrin were the religious rulers of the day. They were the ones who were behind Jesus' death. And, and they, were, they were tried to um, put down anything that had to do with Jesus because they wanted control. Part of God's agenda was to force the religious leaders of their day to come face to face with who Jesus really was. To give them opportunity, but also to bring honor and glory to Jesus. And so in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, because they are in the temple area, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. I love it when I, I love it when what I do annoys religious people. There's just that, there's just mischievousness in me. Because religious people are not on God's agenda. Uh, people in relationship with God are. I, I'd love it later when somebody else annoys me to cause me to look at myself in ways that I need to surrender. I don't like it at the time. I get annoyed. But if we want to be on God's agenda, we have to be willing to experience whatever he has in mind. And so these people were annoyed. Why? Because 
They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, and they and because they were the ones that had crucified him. And so what they do? They arrested him. Peter and John, their day was to go to the three o'clock prayer meeting. And now they're in jail. And that was God's agenda. You see, not only was he healing this, this man, not only was he amazing people, not only was he inviting people to come to relationship with Christ, but he had this bigger purpose of revealing Christ in the religious area. And that meant Peter and John had to spend time in jail. Put them in custody until the next day. So whatever evening plans they had, they were completely changed. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard, watch this, many of those who had heard, they can come and arrest Peter and John if they want, but God's plans always succeed. So you can end up in jail and God's still working out there. Look what happens. The number of men came to about 5,000. It was 3,000 after Pentecost. Now, a chapter later, we're up to 5,000. And that's just the men. That doesn't include the women and the children. So you can at least double that. Now you got 10,000 people who are coming to know Christ. Why? Because Peter and John were on God's agenda. They were following God's agenda. They were, walk, they were living in step, keeping in step with God's agenda. What might happen through us? when we are walking on God's agenda. You might get thrown in jail. It's okay, we'll visit you. We'll get one of the church ladies to bake a cake with a file in it. Right? Well, you know, you're not, you won't, in fact, the way we work around here, you won't be there by yourself very long. <laughs> Some of us will be there. But then word comes into the cell. Hey, Peter and John, 2,000 more people came to know Christ. People saw and experienced God in ways they'd never experienced and seen him before. Jesus was proclaimed. People were reconciled. Let's, so let's talk about some of the whys and hows behind God's agenda. That's what happened. That was on God's agenda. So there, the angel has a clipboard and he checks all five of those off. What, but what was behind it? What were the, how did all this come? Was it just a lucky break that Peter and John just happened to be walking in that particular gate at that particular time when the man is being carried to that particular gate at that particular time so that they just accidentally came into contact with each other? No, it wasn't just fortunate. It was God. Was it just fortunate that Peter decided to use his miraculous superpower? No, it was God. Was it a happy accident that Peter just had to have a sermon in his pocket ready to go? No, he was on God's agenda. Was it a coincidence that the crowds were ready to see the man when he started hopping around praising God? Or was it that Peter and John were so in step with the Spirit that when God's agenda was, was revealed, they chose his agenda without even thinking about it. 
The wise and hows. And so I put some bullet points there for you. Peter and John were in personal relationship and step with Christ. They were already on God's agenda. They were on the way to the temple for the afternoon prayer, but they were, they were in step with God. So God was free to interrupt any time he wanted. Peter and John were nudged to the right place and the right time. They could have gone to morning prayer. That wasn't God's agenda. So he nudged them to make sure they got where the lame man was carried in at the right place and at the right time. I don't, we don't even know if he was a Christ follower. We don't, know, we don't know where he was spiritually, but it didn't matter because God will do what he wants to do. And Peter and John interrupted, were interrupted. As they were interrupted, they stopped to interact. I put a statement there. If Peter and John were self-centered, the man would have been a bother. And here comes the challenge for us. When we are focused on ourselves, the very things that God is doing will feel like a bother. But because they were God-centered, they recognized God working and they joined him. They saw what God was up to. And they said, oh, then that's what I need to be up to, too. And they, they sensed God's invitation. They had to adjust to God's plans to do what no one expected, to do what was risky. Peter was in step with the Spirit so that God could use him to heal. He reaches down to lift the man up even before his, the healing begins. But he was so in step that he knew that that's what God wanted him to do. Um, one of the greatest joys in life if we can become God-centered is when we realize that God is up to something and that what we had in mind is not going to happen but we, what we are going to experience will, will be far better than what we had in mind. That's why, it's so, that's why God's invitation to be on his agenda is so wonderful. It's because what we experience when we, do, when we walk in step with him is so much better. But we have to get ourselves out of the way, but I'm getting ahead of myself. What we also see is that Peter was in step with the Spirit to speak, not only to act, but then to speak what God had in mind. As I was studying this passage of scripture, I, I, I got to wondering um, how many times did the Spirit bring back the words of Jesus to remind Peter and John that this is what Jesus meant? Because one of the statements that Jesus had made to them is don't worry about when you're called on to speak for me. Don't worry about planning it all ahead because in that moment you will be given the words to speak. And I just wonder before Peter started talking to the crowds if maybe the Holy Spirit didn't bring those words back to him with the, the idea, this is what Jesus meant. This is what he had in mind. I wonder if before he reached down to um, help the lame man to his feet miraculously, if the Spirit didn't bring back the words of Jesus, the, the same words, works and miracles that I've been doing, you will do too. Mm -hmm. 
And the Spirit goes, this is what I was talking about. And then when they were arrested, if the Holy Spirit didn't say, you remember what Jesus said, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. And what I experienced, you'll be experiencing. So when they went to jail, they went, oh, good, we get to be like Jesus. Right? And we know that that was their attitude because later in the next chapter, we see them praising God that they, had, they suffered for Jesus. You see, when the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and the truth and he applies it to our lives, it leads us to thinking like he thinks. Number three, then, some takeaways for us. There's a lot, and I've already referred to many of them, but I thought there were two big ones that we should focus in on. First of all, that the, the, um, the kinds of things that we've been talking about over the past couple of years is the lifestyle that we see in Peter and John that can lead us to experiencing what they experienced here. So when we talk about knees and nudges, that was the lifestyle of Peter and John. They started out their day surrendering it to God. That's the knees part. And then the nudges, just following whatever God wants for them. Um, walking, living in step, the same steps, uh, surrendering, listening, obeying, that whole lifestyle. Um, it had become God natural for them to live that way because it had become a lifestyle. It had become a habit for them. And if Peter and John are not living that kind of lifestyle, then this event doesn't happen. Because sometimes it happens so quickly, it'll go by so quickly. If we have to think about it, then we're, we, we miss it. But because they didn't have to think about it, it was their lifestyle. It was, it was their knee-jerk reaction to participate with God. God arranges the circumstances, but we have to be in this, this pattern with him. And then I put a couple of uh, just thoughts to go along with that. It's all about God. It's not about us. It's all about God. It's not about us. It's not about Peter and John. It's not about the lame beggar. It's about God. It starts with God, and then it ripples down into our lives what he wants to do. So let me ask you this. Could any two of us in that situation have healed that man? And the answer is... No. But could any two of us, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, have healed that man? And the answer is yes. Because it's not about us. And Peter and John said, why are you looking at us like we did something? It's not us. We're just the conduit. We're the channel. And it's not about a formula but a personal relationship. And Henry Blackaby will talk about it, that in, um, I think it's this week's, this uh, unit, that it's not about a formula. It's not about getting everything exactly right. It's about walking in step. It's about being in step. Experiencing God is not to make us happy, but it's to be on God's agenda for his glory. Because when Peter and John got thrown into jail, they weren't happy, but they were joyful. Got it? And then the second takeaway for us, we need to embrace God's interruptions as God-centered followers. We need to embrace God's interruptions. I remember a number of years ago, I saw a video um, of Mark Lowry, who was a part of the Gaither vocal band, and got to know Gloria Gaither. Some of you know that name. 
who has written a whole bunch of hymns, a whole bunch of songs. Um, and he was interviewing her, and he was talking to her, and um, said, now, you, you often talk about God's interruptions, and Gloria's eyes lit up, and she said, yeah. He said, God is in the interruptions. He's not in our normal days. And I, ever since then, I've got to think about that. And, and through, as you go through the Bible, yeah, it was pretty much the interruptions. Rahab, God was in the interruption. You know, that wasn't on her agenda. And so for this lame man, for Peter and John, uh, for Paul, so oftentimes, and in our lives, it's not. And so as a result, we have to surrender both control and convenience. If we're going to embrace interruptions, that means it's going to feel like it's out of control at times. Because this isn't what I planned. That feels like it's out of control. And this isn't convenient. Interruptions are not often convenient but they're still better than our plans. Does that make sense? So we have to give up convenience. And I was sitting in my office yesterday, and, and for some reason I started thinking about this word, and that, man, our whole culture is based on convenience. That's why it's so hard for us. I'm going, bing, light bulb. We have to let go of convenience. We do so much for convenience. We buy things for convenience. We arrange our schedule for convenience. We pay a lot of money for convenience. We uh, resist things because of convenience. I mean, we want convenience. We also want control. But if we're only going to be on God's agenda, we have to let, bo let both of those go. Believing that God has better. It really is a control issue. Isn't it? Embrace God's interruptions. So, um, this isn't in my notes, but just came to mind. Here's one tip for embracing God's interruptions. When an interruption comes, instead of reacting, take a breath. <sighs> okay, God, help me see this through your eyes. Because it's when we react that we get out of whack. Take a breath. Okay, God, what have you got in mind here? Which was the mission? The lame man or the big crowd? I'm asking hard questions. I, I know. Here's what you're all doing. You're going, that's a trick question. And I'm not saying anything because if I say anything out loud, then I'm going to be wrong and I'm going to be embarrassed. And that's not convenient. And the answer is both, right? The man was the mission. God cared about this man. He cared about him. He cared about his, his soul. He cared about his body. He cared about him. And for most of us, that will be the mission. The one person that's in front of us, or the, the, you know, the, the, the small things. There won't be many opportunities like Peter to speak to a crowd because of what God has done. But there will be everyday opportunities to be on God's mission in those small ways. That, but it's a small way that eventually led to the big way. God's work and joy happen when ordinary people are on God's agenda. And I believe that we settle for so much less than God has for us. 
Did I ever tell you about the strawberry sundae that I had? <laughs> we settle for so much less because we don't know what God offers is so much better. We have no point of reference until God begins to work. So I challenge you this week, watch for the interruptions. Be on God's end. Surrender, listen, and obey. Lean into the Experiencing God workbook. Memorize the verse. Do all those things to set the tone so that when God's agenda begins, the Holy Spirit begins to work and navigate you, you're ready to go. And you're walking, dancing with Him, whatever He wants you to be about. Lord, I pray that you would guide us deeper and deeper into what it looks like to be on your agenda. Lord, we confess that we're so steeped in convenience that we don't, we don't even see all the ways that we prefer that over you. So arrest our hearts and our minds, inter interrupt our lives so that we can be on your agenda. Um, that you will receive honor and glory and that we will receive the joy that comes, the freedom that comes, uh, the satisfaction that comes. Well, I pray for each one of these folks. Where, whatever you need to dig into their souls about, I pray that you would do that. And in doing so, you will draw them to yourself. Lord, we give this to you. We give you honor. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.